I'm good with money. I'm just kidding. I'm still bad with money. <laughs> this is the 24th episode of Bad With Money, which means we've reached the end of our first season of the show. We've covered so much territory over the past six months. We've talked about the ways our behavior around money is affected by addiction and mental health, rich people thinking versus poor person thinking, how money complicates romantic relationships, the mostly unseen financial challenges of people with disabilities and immigrant families and the cost of dying, the importance of salary transparency, why BuzzFeed's terrible, why Roxanne Gay rules, why Lexi Alexander also rules, why Chris Rock is a white dentist. And yet, there's still so much we haven't covered or addressed. And that's why, before we go any further, I'm excited to let you know that there will be a season two of Bad With Money! Yeah, we got season two! We got renewed! Someone at Panoply messed up and we got renewed! I'm just kidding. We don't know the release date yet, but if you don't already, please follow me on Twitter, at Gabby Dunn. That way, you will not only be notified immediately when season two arrives, but you'll also be able to read my beautiful thoughts and retweets about politics and then jokes about the young Pope on a daily basis between now and then. We've got a few things to cover on this season finale, so first I want to take a moment to reflect on where I was when I started this project and where I am now. When I started, I had almost no money. I was living very much paycheck to paycheck. I had never saved anything in my life. I was very into, like, in the moment, like, okay, if I could just get by with the amount that I have, then that's great. Then we're back at zero and we have zero money, but it's okay. We'll get paid again. I had this idea that there would be a windfall coming to me and that it would solve everything. I never questioned. I never looked into anything. I just did like the bank could have literally been like stand on your head and I would have been like, okay. I also thought that I was alone in this journey and I also thought that I was an idiot. I was really nervous to like tell people this stuff about me because I just I really valued seeming intelligent and I thought that people would think, oh, she's let us all know that she's an idiot. I also, like, wasn't sure what my money situation was going to be in the upcoming year. There were things that were hanging in the ether that could have totally changed my money situation. There were things that we thought would happen that didn't happen professionally. And then there were a couple things that did happen professionally. When I started this podcast, I had never seen more than $2,000 in my bank account ever, ever, ever in my life. I'd never even – like, if I had four digits in my bank account, that – was insane. And now I have a savings account that currently has $21,000 in it, which what? I got so scared and overwhelmed that I got an accountant. And now there's like a guy that tells me when to pay taxes and tells me what to do. And like, I just, I've gone from a person who never thought about money or looked at money or ever wanted to do anything with money to a person who kind of has some now. I think the episode that sticks out the most is the Sally Krawcheck episode called What is a Stock? Because the name of the episode is the most basic question you can ask. And I was so scared to ask her, what is a stock? Because like most people who are interviewing someone who works in an industry, you want to at least pretend you know something about that industry. But I was like, no, I don't know anything. So like I'm going to in front of X amount of people that listen to this show 
literally ask this woman, what is a stock? And I was like terrified to do it. I kept trying to couch it being like, okay, well, here comes a dumb question. But I'm sure if I don't know, then multiple people don't know. And and if this cloud of not knowing is what keeps the status quo. So once I asked her, what is a stock? Once the question came out of my mouth, it was like so much relief. And I think that like sets a tone for what I want to keep doing. I definitely still have terrible spending habits. Ter- I mean, terrible spending habits. And I have an impulse also to like give people money still like my sister, but also like spend money on gifts for people and cover things because I don't want people to feel bad. So I, I certainly still have horrible habits. <laughs> but it's gotten way, way better. And I, I, I think with anything, right, it's like you avoid this thing for so long because you're so scared of it. And then once you confront it the most, the most you can, then all of a sudden it becomes less scary and you've cleared some of the fog away. This whole journey, as you may recall, started with an interview with my parents, who are wonderful and supportive and absolutely terrible examples when it comes to money. And so now that I've made this much progress, I think, I wanted to check back in with them and see what they think of the show and me. Uh, I haven't listened to everything. Uh Oh, my God! I mean, we don't talk to you that much about finances, and you That's haven't true. asked us for any financial help in a long time, so I would assume that you're you're doing better. But I do, I do think we used to talk about it more. Like, it was definitely more of a thing to, like, for you guys to let me know that I was overdrawn or to let me know that there were some sort of penalty coming or there used to be conversations we would have that were, like, way more money-focused in the sense that I was, like, in trouble. That's yes. true. Right, and you and you were very uh, hesitant to ever bring them up to us, especially if you needed money. It was like pulling teeth to get you to say it. Well, the only thing that I know is that you allowed me to go with you to your accountant, and it was a funny situation because he was, I felt, trying to seek my approval um, that he worked with you, and I don't know if you remember, but I cut him off and I said, you don't need my approval if Gabrielle feels that you're competent, then she's going to use you. So there was a change in the financial relationship then where I felt you were in good hands. So, um, yeah, there's a vast improvement in how you're da- handling money. I mean, you guys were pissed when I said I wanted my own bank account. Do you remember that? No, we weren't pissed. It was the circumstances. Yes, you were. No, 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 Gabrielle. It was the circumstances. You were being pressured into taking care of yourself and not asking us for help. And that concerned us a lot. And then we discovered that you were doing things like selling your clothes. And when we were available to help you, but you were cutting us off totally from helping you or, or, you know, easing the strain of your seeking your professional goals. So that was what concerned us. It's not that we were pissed that you got your own account. Is that working <laughs> out okay for you? 
Having my own bank account? Yes, it is. Good. Okay. I've learned a lot from the people that you've had on the show. You have? I've learned more of what, what I shouldn't have done than what I did. I've done more <laughs> wrong than I have right. Like what kind of stuff? Living in the moment rather than saving for the future. So we just did an episode right before this one that was all about like capitalism and socialism and like existing within the system and trying to like get out of these cycles. It's like there's a weird thing where like dad, you were like a a hippy dippy person and then there's like a generation now that's trying to do similar sort of like protesting against the system, maybe even more so now because of this new ad- administration. But then a lot of times baby boomers will like shit on those people by being like, oh, they're just entitled. They just want handouts. How do you feel now? Like now as a, an adult, how do you feel about like the system of, of making money and money stuff? I see too much greed being the driving force behind capitalism. And the greed is bringing out the worst in people. When we used to demonstrate and get involved in protests back in the 60s, the adults of that time, let's call them quote-unquote adults, would sneer at us, you know, hurl insults at us based on our youth, on our our looks, the way we looked. Mm -hmm. You know, it was mixed uh, people of color with uh, white people, but it was, us that were demonstrating was a mix. So, okay, so most of the protesters were a wide mix of race and socioeconomic class, and then the people that were against the protesters were middle class and lower class, even though it would benefit them if your protests were successful? Yes. And the upper class you didn't hear much from. They just kind of stood on the sidelines, like, smirking. A lot of the people that were demonstrating and protesting then that are now in their, you know, 60s or uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, are more establishment. My turn. I, I find as I'm getting older, I get more of a Bernie Sanders socialist type view. Capitalism, while theoretically, you know, it's a nice, nice concept. People can become anything they want to want to become, and they can move up social economic stratas. It still has worked against us. I think you guys have gotten more radical as you've gotten older. <laughs> well, you know, you know my, Which, like, my, doesn't happen. One of my concerns for you, and I hear it a little bit in, in the podcast, uh, and it's kind of your personality, is that Money doesn't become too compulsive for you. I mean, it's good to gain knowledge, and it's good to understand how you, you know, prepare yourself to, to be, have financial stability. I, I just, you know, I hear a little bit of compulsivity, and I just want to remind you to, you know, enjoy yourself while you're at it. Oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> So the last thing I want to do for season one is respond to a handful of the messages that some of you guys sent me over the last couple weeks. Um, Before I get into them, I I want to say thank you to all of you who've been listening and participating in the conversation with me, whether you wrote in or not. It means so much to me to know that you're here for this. Talking about these issues is more important than ever. So hearing from so many of you about what the podcast has meant to you is really humbling and powerful. 
There's no way we could get all of the messages onto the show today, but please know that I read and listened to all of them, and, like, they mean so much to me. Uh, With that in mind, I wanted to highlight a few which I felt really underlined some of the very important things we've talked about on the show so far. So the first one is intense and kind of a crazy story. Um, So Saturday I was home and I was looking at the news and I just randomly clicked an article that was about this young man who was walking across America to raise money for environmental activism and – And he had been hit by a car and killed. And I read the article and was super fascinated by him and his story and and remembered, like, the article made an impact on me. And then the next day, I was going through the emails that we had gotten for Bad With Money. And I I recognized his name a week before he had been killed. He emailed bad with money. Um, So this is an email from Mark Bomber. Um, It's important to me to read his email because he sent it to be read on the show, and I think we should honor him and do that. So this is the email from him. I'm sitting barefoot under a few pine trees somewhere in America. I just downloaded an episode of Bad With Money. Your transparency about money made me cry when I began listening and helped me realize how stressed out I am by my own money situation right now. Three months ago, I began a barefoot journey across America, barefootacrossamerica.com, to raise awareness about climate change. I've raised over $7,000 but run up 12000 in credit card debt. It's embarrassing to admit I've spent more money than I've raised. I feel like a failure in many ways and often think maybe I should have stayed home and instead just given my credit card to an environmental organization. Much of my guilt stems from staying in motels for the first 70-plus days of the trip. Part of why I stayed in motels was to take care of my feet at the end of the day. Unfortunately, I got a little addicted to motel life and eventually reached my credit limit. I feel a little better about my situation recently. Since the start of the new year, I've eliminated motel expenses by sleeping outside every night. I'm proud to say I've slept outside every day of 2017. On the other hand, I haven't showered yet in 2017. In no way is my situation terrible or life-threatening, I chose to be out here and could easily call off the journey to return to my job, which is being held for me, and grind my way out of this debt, but I still feel a deep amount of shame for how much I've spent and how little I've raised in comparison. Anyway, it helps to share some specifics. Thank you for creating a space for transparency. Um, so after I saw that, I was stunned, and I texted my producer and was freaking out, essentially, this person was do, trying to do this very selfless thing and was listening to the show. While, like, I, I had been affected by his story without knowing that he had been affected by mine. The transparency of the message that he sent is is so powerful. How many of us have been in that place where we realize we're throwing away all the money we have and it's all on something that we believe in, but there's no guarantee it's going to work out the way we hope. And um, I just kept I kept texting my producer saying I just keep thinking about his mission and how futile everything seems especially right now so if you feel moved by Mark's story one thing you could consider doing is donating to the organization he was raising money for they're called the Fang Collective and they organize around environmental issues particularly against fracking 
Since Donald Trump just announced today that he's taking executive action to allow construction of both the Keystone and Dakota Access pipelines, organizations like this are really important. Um, Obviously, like, do your research before you donate the money and, and make sure it's not, you know, money that you're donating that you can't afford. Really, like, no pressure, but it just seems like something worth mentioning on the show. I think I'll be thinking about this for a long time. So now we'll get into less intense messages from listeners to the show. Um, This one is from Zoe. So my mom, she is an accountant, as in that's her college degree. She doesn't actually do that for a job. But obviously, you know, that means she's really financially literate and she knows a lot. And what's really interesting is how sort of how pervasive that taboo of talking about money is, you know, even between a mother and a daughter, there's still this taboo about talking about money. Like, you know, we've definitely, she's definitely shared tidbits with me over the years and we've had some surface level conversations, but there've never been any really deep conversations about money, sort of no passing on of knowledge from her to me. And I know I'm an adult, the onus is on me to figure it out myself now, but it definitely would have been helpful to sort of have some knowledge passed down to me. If one of your parents is an actual accountant, they should be explaining this stuff to you in detail. I mean, yeah, you should you should ask her. That's a huge advantage. But also, you're right. It's just, I mean, my parents don't talk to me about it, so. But they don't have the actual knowledge your mom has. Hi, Gabby. Uh, this is Monique, and I'm a listener from the Cayman Islands. Actually, before the podcast came out, I actually assumed you were really good with your money, but you also like to spend quite a bit on yourself kind of thing like like you knew how to spend for yourself but spend smartly for like rent and bills and stuff like I never would have guessed you were someone who didn't know anything about money which is surprising but it's also good because you seem like a very street savvy smart person so it's kind of comforting that I don't know anything and you don't know anything Thank you, Monique, for assuming that I knew my shit when it came to money. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, That's the persona I'm really trying to give off. Um, I'm a person who lives in the public eye, and I always want to seem confident and knowledgeable about stuff. So, But it is important to remember that literally everyone is struggling with this stuff, no matter how cool and comfortable they seem. Everyone has anxiety about money. And if they don't, they're... Well, because I was going to say if they don't, they have money. But even people who have money freak out about money. So I'm wrong. This is an email from Chris R. that I loved. One thing that has made me cringe a few times is how you talk about people making 35 k a year as low-income people. I'm 41 years old now and making 25 k a year, and it's the most I've ever made in my life and allows me to afford to own my own home and a pickup truck and buy health insurance, but that's about it. I work construction. Most of my coworkers are quote-unquote illegal. I'm an ex-con. Part of what keeps our wages low is the fact that society intentionally marginalizes some groups of people. I was a little hurt by your comment that white men can bravely ask for whatever they want. I'm a white man and I feel damn lucky to have a full-time job where I bust my butt all day for twelve fifty an hour. But I wouldn't want to risk losing this job. I hope your show gets re-upped by Panoply. It has. Either way, I can see you are a smart, capable person on your way to achieving great things. Loyal fan from the first day, Chris R. This was an email from Heather in Norfolk. 
I have gone from earning a pretty solid wage as a high school teacher on a temporary contract to suffering from crippling anxiety and depression, and I was unable to go to work for two weeks. Upon my return to work, my boss told me that because of my absence, he was taking away a promotion I had just been given, along with the offer of a permanent contract at the school. This hit me so hard I couldn't work at the school at all, even on supply, because I was so devastated by how I had been treated. I turned to my teacher's union to support me against this disability discrimination, and they worked with the school to understand my condition and to make adjustments so I could come back to work. This took months, and during that time, I had to get a barista job as I had no money and wasn't entitled to any sick pay from school. The union didn't just help me on the legal side of things. They also advised me to apply for a grant from their benevolence fund. I was so ashamed to have to ask for help from essentially a charity, but they gave me 200 pounds in cash pretty much there and then and and 1,000 pounds split over three months to help me stay afloat. I want to tell your listeners not to think that they are too proud to ask for financial help from a charity or that their problems aren't big enough to entitle you to financial assistance. The money made all the difference to me, and I am now back at school and getting back to full health. Awesome. Hi, Gabby. I grew up in a middle-class household with a very feast or famine financial situation. My mom is a small business owner, and she's also a habitual gambler. So sometimes she'd have multiple checks from clients coming in or win big, and we'd have thousands and thousands of dollars suddenly, and everyone would get new clothes and a laptop and all of the groceries, and stuff was just awesome. Or business could be slow for a long time, and we'd be getting phone calls threatening to cut our power off. One of my earliest memories is actually lending my mom $300 when I was 13 so she could pay the mortgage. And she came home later that night and handed it all back to me saying, I double did it, bingo, here you go. So I reacted to all of this by becoming a money hoarder, sometimes probably when I should have just spent it to be more comfortable or safe. My sister, on the other hand, reacted in the opposite way, spending it as soon as she got it and sometimes before she got it. But I always have in the back of my head that there's going to be some giant windfall of cash that'll wipe out all of my problems and I kind of go around constantly disappointed when it doesn't show up. Bad With Money helped me talk my mom about financial psychology and I was actually really surprised to hear that she's pretty aware of her own money issues. This is an important reminder that if your parents used to do things with money or still do things with money that seem odd or confusing to you, ask them why they do it. This is all about transparency. Otherwise, you're going to grow up doing the same things or going in the opposite direction for better or worse. Also, it is vital to learn that just because they're your parents doesn't mean they have any idea what the fuck they're doing. This is a good lesson to learn by doing a podcast. (laughs) which is something that I learned, but also maybe it shouldn't be necessary. This is an email from Bridget. Hi, Gabby. I absolutely love your podcast and listen every week. I don't have any debt, but I also don't have a penny of savings. You inspired me to seek financial advice. First, I called a budgeting specialist, and they said I didn't have enough money for them to help me. Then I called a financial counselor, and they said I didn't have enough debt for them to help me. The government and my super fund only had info on retirement, and my bank tried to sell me stuff. The whole experience was incredibly discouraging. When it boils down to it, I probably already have most of the knowledge and tools required to turn my finances around. Your podcast has helped me realize that the greatest hurdle is emotional. I have also come to see that mental health struggles can exacerbate destructive financial behaviors. You've often expressed that your instinct is to spend all your money while you can because it's no use to you once you're dead. I can relate and I find this problematic. Short-term thinking goes into overdrive when you're struggling with your mental health. Once, in a period of deep depression, I booked a holiday with my credit card. 
My parents scolded me, telling me they had gone 10 years without a holiday when they were younger for the sake of the family's finances. I can understand where they were coming from, but I also vividly remember thinking that if I didn't make a change in my life, even something as trivial as a holiday, I might not survive my depression. This led me into a cycle of, one, attempting to buy happiness, and two, suffering crippling anxiety because of my financial situation. Repeat. Thanks for shouting the things that can be so difficult to talk about at all. Bridget. So a lot of you wrote in with amazing suggestions. Um, You wanted to hear more stuff about politics. You wanted to hear more stuff about specific groups, including um, Mr. Chris R. and his ex-cons. And you wanted to hear more about student loans. And you wanted to hear about teachers. And you wanted to hear – I mean, there were so many amazing suggestions that I can't wait to fill out season two with them. And I, I really appreciate it. You know, you do this podcast kind of in a bubble. Like, you don't really think about the people that are listening. You usually will just send it out. I'll send it out, and I'll be like, okay, it's out, it's done. And then, like, maybe my friends listen to it. And there's a number of how many people are listening that I know exists, but I choose not to look at it because I'm scared. But also, which is what a money metaphor. But also, I, I taking that number and thinking of it as individual people is so – it's a hard thing to do when you're a little bit removed. And so getting these emails, I was like, these are all people who are listening to this who, I mean, some of you guys said that it helped you ask for a raise, that it helped you really learn how to value yourself and quit a job that wasn't valuing you. Shout out to the girl who sent me screenshots of her group text with her friends. Um, and it taught you how to invest and that people were opening their mail now when they hadn't before and that people were getting retirement funds. I mean, the amount that the show has like, inspired people to like change their entire financial situations and get wills and talk to their parents about money. I I couldn't have ever predicted that. And I I'm so grateful that this is helpful at all because it's been helpful to me. And I I'm just glad that it was useful to someone else. Okay, so I just wanted to share my thoughts on the podcast tonight. I was I was driving home from a friend's house and um, I'm still driving right now and I'm just driving through the fog and it's kind of a surreal feeling to to go in and out of the lights and in and out of the fog and it's 2.30 right now in the morning for parts of the drive I was in complete darkness and I, uh, I couldn't see the road ahead of me because it was completely covered in fog and there were no other cars on the road and it looked empty and lost and I would get nervous for a second. I could still see the lines on the road, but that fear of not knowing what's ahead of you for that split second and then a streetlight pops up or another car comes the other way or there's a billboard that that you're driving past that kind of, for a second, you can see where you are again and you feel like you're in the real world again. And I feel like that just felt a lot like what I'm going through right now in terms of just life and mental health and money and I just feel like how that's mo- that's how most things are you know you just kind of are wading through this this fog and this darkness and every now and then you kind of get a hint about where you're supposed to be going Thank you, Kelsey. This is such a perfect metaphor for how grim money can feel and how much of a relief it is to know that everyone is struggling in one way or another. I'm so happy this show has been your streetlight in the fog. Let's all be that for each other. Thank you all.
all so much for listening to the first season of Bad With Money. And follow me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, at Gabby Dunn on Twitter, at Gabby Road on Instagram. It's a Beatles reference. Don't worry about it. Season two of the show is coming soon, and it's going to be even more awesome. It's going to go more in-depth. I know you guys talked about how you were liked that it was a lot of arts people but wished it was people that weren't in the arts, and that's a promise I will keep. In the meantime, please rate and review the show in iTunes, and be sure to tell all your friends who are bad with money that this is the show for all of us. Feel free to tell your friends who... Wait, do you guys seriously have friends who are good with money? Isn't that what we've learned here, that no one actually is? Have I learned the wrong lesson from my own show? I'm just kidding. Some of you wrote emails saying you were good with money. Go screw off. I'm just kidding. I love you. Please listen to the show. We're part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera, and our show art is by Cameron Glavin. As for me, I remain, as ever, America's deadbeat sweetheart. More soon. You can't get rid of me. 